there guys, welcome to our first podcast on natural law. So natural law is one of our ethical topics that we need to know for our exam. Uh, you could get asked in the exam to talk about this ethical topic on its own. You could be asked to compare it to another ethical topic. So for example, natural law compared with utilitarianism or Kantian ethics. Or you could get asked to apply natural law as an ethical topic to an ethical issue, issue for example, abortion or euthanasia or just war, something like that. Okay, and um, so obviously you need to have a good basic understanding of the theory of natural law so that you can explain it, explain its strengths and weaknesses, and then either apply it or compare it to another ethical theory. So that's what I'm going to hope to do in this, okay, so it won't be anything particularly exciting, but hopefully it's going to go through the basics and give you a good starting point for your revision. Right, okay then, so let's begin by looking at the principles behind natural law. Now, natural law has its starting point in the Greek philosopher Aristotle, but it's built upon by the medieval philosopher and theologian St Thomas Aquinas. And if you think back to when we looked at it, we chiefly looked at Aquinas' understanding of natural law. But it's a good idea to have some basics in Aristotle to see the context, the wider context of the theory. Now, when thinking about natural law, the clues in the name, really, is called natural law. So it's looking at nature, it's looking at what makes something natural. And for Aristotle, when he was thinking about this, he was wondering what allowed something to flourish, what allowed something to be all that it could be. So when he looked around and looked at nature, he decided that he thought there was things that things in things in nature, they all had they all had things that they needed to allow them to flourish, to allow them to be all they could be. So to give you an example, say for example, someone bought me a um, they very kindly bought me a nice plant, a nice pot plant as a present, and I decided uh, rather rudely to shove it in a cupboard and to completely abandon it. Well, for Aristotle, he would say straight away that he could, he would say, well, I can see now that you're not allowing that plant to flourish because you've removed the things that that plant needs to flourish. That plant needs water, it needs sunlight, and without those things, it cannot flourish. So for Aristotle, everything in the natural world had certain requirements, certain things that it needed that would allow it to flourish. Once these were removed, that thing could not flourish. So he started by looking obviously at plants and looking at you know, other parts of the natural world, but of course naturally he turned around and started then to look at human beings and thought to himself, what do human beings need to flourish? What do human beings need to be their natural self? So natural law is a theory that tries to explain what human beings need, what human beings need to flourish. Okay, so that's our starting point. Our starting point is the question, what is it that allows human beings to flourish? And another way of phrasing this question is to think, what is the purpose of a human being? And so natural law, its whole starting point is thinking, what is the purpose of a human being? Now for Aquinas, that purpose was to be as godlike as possible. He believed that using our reason and using our intellect, we could work out that our purpose, what would make us flourish, is to be as godlike as possible. He believed this because in the Bible, in Genesis 1, 26, 27, it says that we are made in the image of God, imago dei in Latin. So if we are made in the image of God, then we become our truest selves, we flourish, we are in our natural state, and we are being as godlike as possible. So for Aquinas, in Genesis 2, when God breathes the breath of life into Adam and gives him his soul, 
This is evidence of part of us becoming godlike, our reason being given to us, our intellect being given to us. And as a consequence, us being made in the image of God, it is essential for us to live in the most godly way that we can. So that is Aquinas' starting point, and that's his starting point for natural law. Now, he differed from Aristotle. Aristotle had lived before the time of Jesus, so obviously he had nothing to do with, that said nothing to do with God, really. Uh, his understanding of the purpose of human beings was something called eudaimonia. Now, eudaimonia is a Greek word that means the good life. So for Aristotle, humans flourished when they were seeking, when they were driven towards eudaimonia. But either way, whether it's Aristotle saying that we have to try to seek the good life, try to seek eudaimonia, or whether it's Aquinas saying that we have to seek being being made in the image of God, either way, what you've got is an orientation, a direction that human beings should be pointed towards and that action should be directed towards. So because of this, because it's all about human beings being directed towards a certain point of action, natural law is a teleological ethical theory. It is a theory that looks at outcomes. Human beings should realise, using their reason, according to Aquinas, their purpose is to be made in the image of God. As a consequence, they should orientate, direct themselves towards that outcome. And they will know they have flourished, and they will be flourishing, if they walk along that path. Okay, So you might want to think of natural law as a bit like a mountain that you need to climb, and that mountain is becoming godlike. Now, of course, you're not going to achieve that in your life, but if you're climbing the mountain, if you're trying to make your way up the slopes, if you're trying to reach the summit, you will be flourishing, you will be becoming a good person. Now, Aquinas doesn't believe that we're going to be able to achieve that on earth, we achieve that in heaven, but we are good people if we are pointing ourselves in that direction. So let's just really, really quickly recap. So we've got that basic point, because this is really key, and once you've got this, the rest of the theory all fits in together nice and easily. So the starting point for natural law theory according to Aquinas, is that all human beings have a purpose. We have a purpose that if we follow will allow us to flourish. And for Aquinas, this purpose is natural. And we can understand this purpose for our reason. And our purpose is to be as godlike as possible because it says so in the Bible in Genesis 1.26. So you've got an easy criticism there when we come on to the criticisms that obviously this is based on a very biblical understanding. Without the Bible, this theory maybe falls apart. Okay, good. So that's our starting point. That's our starting point of natural law, the purpose of human beings that we can work out through reason. And that according to Aquinas is to live in live according to the image of God and is Aristotle to try to flourish through eudaimonia, through seeking the good life. Right, so let's be useful towards our exams. So if we're talking about natural law, we need to be able to say that it is teleological because it orientates us, it points us in a direction, it has outcomes that we're trying to achieve, and that's what telos means. So telos is purpose or end point. So because natural law is about trying to flourish, about trying to achieve an objective, it's a teleological ethical theory. Okay, now it's also an, in some people's view an absolute ethical theory because it has absolute views of what's right and what's wrong. And we're gonna look at that in a second when we start looking at the theory. Okay. Um, there is more complicated understanding where you might see natural law has, as having both teleological and deontological points, but we'll come, to, come back to that later. Okay, So natural law, it's all very well saying we've got a purpose and we've got we've made in the image of God, and that's all great, and I'm sure everyone's very happy with that. But that, what does that do? How does that help us achieve anything? 
not much good in the real world. If I just wander out in the streets and I decide, right, okay, now I'm going to try to live like I'm godlike, what do I actually do? You know, how do I live differently? Do you know, does that mean I can or can't mug old ladies? Who knows? So for Aquinas, it isn't enough just to say this is our purpose. He then says we can use our reason to work out how that purpose should direct us, what outcomes that should lead to. And that is the primary precepts. And this is the key part of the actual sort of the sort of meat of the theory is something called the primary precepts. So these primary precepts, which hopefully you have, you can remember, are the outcomes. They are the outcomes that we should be trying to achieve. If we achieve these outcomes, we will be living as if we are in the image of God. We will be living correctly. We will be flourishing. We will be climbing that mountain. OK, so those those primary precepts, there's five of them. And they are nicely remembered using the acronym WORLD, W-O-R-L-D. That's because they are one, W, which is worship God, two, O, which is ordered society, three, R, which is reproduction, four, L, which is learning, and finally five, uh, which is D, which is defending the innocent. So those five primary precepts, worshipping God, order society, reproduction, learning and defending the innocent are the outcomes, the teleological outcomes we are trying to achieve. If you are achieving one of those outcomes, if you are orientated towards one of those outcomes, if you are trying to uh, learn, if you're trying to defend the innocent, if you are trying to reproduce, create an ordered society or to worship God, then you are living, according to Aquinas, in the image of God. So you are a good person, you are doing good, and you are avoiding evil. If you fail to orientate yourself towards those outcomes, if you fail to worship God or to create an ordered society or to reproduce or to learn or to defend the innocent, then you are failing to be a good person and therefore you are doing evil. So doing good and, avo- and avoiding evil is all about orientating yourself towards those primary precepts. So how do we actually use those primary precepts? Well, the primary precepts are teleological outcomes. But to help us achieve those primary precepts, to help us achieve those outcomes, we have secondary precepts that are absolute deontological rules. So if you remember, deontological means that it's duty-based. The deontological rules are our duty. And if we follow these deontological rules and apply them to the primary precepts, we can't go too far wrong. So let's that's, that sounds complicated, but it's not, I promise. So let's, let's see what that means. Essentially, let's think of a primary precept let's think of a primary precept well the third primary precept is reproduction so if your primary precept is reproduction you know that your goal your outcome that you need to achieve to be living in the image of god is to reproduce so because of that you can easily make lots of secondary precept rules that enable you to achieve that so for example you might say that it's wrong to use contraception because contraception would make it impossible for you or make it much much less likely for you to reproduce. So you'd have a secondary precept rule, do not use contraception, so that you can achieve the primary precept outcome of reproduction. You might also say that might have a secondary precept rule that is um, that you should not have um, homosexual relationships because, again, that would deny the outcome of the primary precepts. So that's how it works. If you want to achieve the primary precepts, you set the secondary precept rules that allow you to achieve it. So for example, and let's go through one more just very quickly. So let's say, for example, you were looking at the primary precept of learning. You might say that you should go to school would be a secondary precept rule, because by going to going to school, you're able to achieve the primary precept of learning. Okay, so by listening to this podcast, hopefully you'll learn something. As a consequence, you'll be able to 
um, achieve a primary precept of learning. That's how Aquinas would have understood the primary and the secondary precepts. That's 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 the the key part of the theory covered. Um, it might seem quite complicated, but but let's just run through it very quickly to sort of overview just to make sure. So let's start back at the beginning. Natural law believes that we have a purpose. Our purpose is to be as godlike as possible, according to Aquinas, because it says in Genesis one twenty six that we are made in the image of God. So like a tree or a plant needs water and light to flourish, we need to act in the image of God to flourish. To do that, we have outcomes, the primary precepts, which are world, worship God, order society, reproduction, learning, and defending the innocent. When we are orientated, when we are pointing towards those outcomes, we're in business, we're doing well. And to help us achieve those outcomes, we set secondary precepts, deontological, the duty-based rules. So secondary precepts are the rules, the prime precepts are the outcomes. Okay, so that's the basics of the theory. Uh, and that's all you really need to know. That's the key bit. And there's enough knowledge there that if you understand that and you can explain it, and you can explain the importance of purpose, the importance of being made in the image of God, and how the primary and secondary precepts work, you can't go too far wrong. But if you're going to get really fancy and get yourself towards an A star, uh, or an A and A star um, answer, then it's useful to be able to include a little bit more. So there's a few more little bits that we can add on the end here. The first of which is something called real and apparent goods. Now this is nice and straightforward. A real good is anything that leads to a primary precept. So using my previous example, uh, having sex might be a real good because it can lead to the primary precept of um, reproduction. Whereas perhaps, for example, and this is something that Aquinas uses as an example, masturbation would be an apparent good because although it might be perfectly enjoyable, it doesn't lead to a primary precept. Likewise, you might say that watching TV, while perfectly good fun and perfectly you know, enjoyable, doesn't lead to a primary precept, whereas going to school, which might not be as much fun, might lead to a primary precept, the primary precept of learning, and therefore that was a real good. So a real good is something that leads to a primary precept. An apparent good is something that might be enjoyable, might make you happy, but doesn't lead to a primary precept. Okay, so that's the difference between real and apparent goods. And another additional part of the theory is something called double effect. Um, double effect is quite straightforward, but it's important to understand. So for double effect, what Aquinas is realising is there are certain actions that humans take that can have both a good consequence and a bad consequence. So it's all very well to say your outcome is to, is to defend the innocent, but what if you're, I don't know, dragged down to the street and told you need to kill one person or 10 people are going to die. Well, clearly, defending the innocent there is impossible. There's only two outcomes, both of which involve innocent people being killed. So what do you do? Well, for Aquinas, what he says is it's the intention that's important. So if your intention is to achieve a primary precept and there's a bad outcome, a second double effect, and that, that can't be avoided, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong as long as the intention was to achieve a primary precept and as long as the outcome that does result isn't isn't so bad that the good is sort of you know is washed away by the bad so for example if you had uh, conjoined twins and you and by separating the twins you knew that one of them was going to die and only one of them was going to live let's say they're sharing organs or something like that and to separate them only one was going to live well 
Aquinas would say that separating them, if your outcome was to defend the innocent, separating them would be the right thing to do, even though it's going to cause a bad double effect. So for double effect, you need to think, what is the intention behind the action? Is the intention behind the action a primary good, primary precept, big problem, in which case the action is good? If it isn't, the action is bad. Which is also bad if the if the good cause, good caused by the um by the action, by the by the you know the good the good consequence of the double, of the two, if 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 that's overshadowed by the bad consequences, then then it's still a bad act. So for example, a very small good like um helping one person uh, get to work on time, but then as the consequence, you know, so let's say an ordered society you wanted someone to get to work on time to live in an ordered society, primary precept. So you decide to speed in your car really, really, really fast, try to help your friend get to work on time, and then you crashed and killed hundreds of people in a car accident, a big pile up. Well you would say that the the intention of good, the primary precept, was overshadowed by the bad that was caused and therefore that wasn't that wasn't double effect. Okay, so that's that's how double effect works. And the last part of this theory, thank God, last getting there, the last part of this theory that you need to know is interior and exterior acts. So interior and exterior acts are linked to double effect. They're slightly different, so let's just quickly discuss them. So what these are is they're whether the act, it, where it's looking at the act both from the internal, what's happening inside the person's head, and the external, what you can see the person doing. So an interior act is what the intention is inside the person behind the action. And the exterior is what's actually being seen in the world. So for example, if you see me walking down the road and I seem to be helping a little old lady across the street, you might think, oh, that's a lovely act. From the exterior that you can see, that's a lovely act. That's the exterior act that I'm helping somebody across the street. But the interior might be that I'm helping them across the street because when I get to the other side of the road, I know there's a, um, a cash machine and I'm going to rob her and say that she needs to get money out for me. That would then be a bad interior act. If I'm going to rob the little old lady, then that's a bad interior act. But the exterior that you can see at that moment seems like a good interior act. Someone giving money to charity so that they can become popular will be a bad interior act because the only motivation is to become popular but a good exterior act for giving money to charity so that's the difference now for something to be good according to aristotle uh, sorry, according to aquinas big problem it needs to fulfill the criteria on both the interior and the exterior okay but if there's one that's more important is the interior is more important than the exterior but a good act would fill the criteria on both Okay, and that's it. That's natural law. Right.